Welcome to the St. Elias Report, where evil and heresy are exposed by the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ through sacred scripture and tradition of the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I am your host and humble servant of God, George Anthony. Hello everyone, this is the producer of the St. Elias Report, Vic Hermanson. Podcasts such as this, podcasts made in the service of the Lord, are not immune to technical issues. This particular podcast experienced some of those, and the recording that was made was somewhat scrambled in terms of its chronological order. We have fixed that the best we could. The original recording was made with such enthusiasm and power and zeal that we chose to keep it instead of replacing it. So, with that in mind, please forgive any chronological issues you might encounter. Having said that, here's your host, George Anthony. بيت خاله عيلت وقدم بمديل خسبديت ملكش ما ينوح صولي خلدا In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Saint Joseph, terror of demons, cast your solemn gaze upon the devil and all his minions, and protect us with your mighty staff. You fled through the night to avoid the devil's wicked designs. Now, with the power of God, smite the demons as they flee from you. Grant special protection, we pray, for children, fathers, families, and the dying. By God's grace, no demon dares approach while you are near. So we beg you, always be near us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to the second episode of the St. Elias Report. I'm your host, George Anthony. Today, we're going to be talking about becoming battle-ready for the terrors of darkness. Well, what do I mean by this? I mean that as Catholic men and women and women of good faith and our Christian brothers and sisters, we need to become battle-ready. We need to make sure that we're ready to fight demons. Demons their evil minions, their plots, their devices, and all the things in the world that would turn men and women away from the glory of God's kingdom. So this is a call for you, Christian men and women, 
to get your own house in order. Being a Catholic and a Christian doesn't mean you go to church on Sunday. It's more than just singing some hymns, meeting for bingo, having a good time, seeing your family. It has a lot more to do with living a Christian life. Men, I'm going to call you out right now. If you're looking at pornography or even lusting after other women in your eyesight, just your mere gazes, you're no match for the devil. The devil will find your weakness and enter in. We have to become battle ready and hearted. So men, you might be going to church on Sunday, but are you keeping your gaze down? Are you minding your manners? Are you frankly rude to your wife? Yeah, I'm picking on the men right now because I'm a man and I know my flaws. So I'll get to the ladies in just a moment. But let's say this, gentlemen, it's not enough that your ushers in church deacons in church. It's not enough that you're, you're working for, you know, the festivals and things of that nature. You have to live your Christianity in your house. Get the pornography out of your house. Start to treat your wife like a queen. Make sure that you are praying visibly to your family. You can't say that you're a Christian husband and you don't lead your family. You are the head of that house. You are the spiritual leader of that house. If you do not pray, your family will not pray. You can't ask them to pray. You have to start showing them that you're on your knees every night and day or whatever the prayer time is for your family. For us, it's at dinner and it's at night. You have to start by being a model like St. Joseph for his family, for your family, in order that your family will then come around. I know a lot of you are going to say, well, I'm a faithful Christian, I'm a faithful Catholic, but I can't get my wife to pray or go to confession or, or, or receive the sacraments. She's fallen away. She argues with me. Listen, I have your answer. Yes, you're going to pray for her. Do not force her have arguments with her. That's not going to work. That, that's, discord in the house is the devil's way in in order for you and your wife to fight. You and your wife fight, you're already given in to the devil. Here, here's the formula that I suggest to you, okay? First, you're going to start to pray and fast. Don't do this knowingly. You do do this in secret. The Lord said, for what you do in secret, I shall reward in secret. Don't be like the hypocrites that say, oh my God and God in the street so that they're able to be seen. You don't want to do that. You, you, you want to pray in secret and you want to fast in secret. So start by fasting, giving up one meal a day, giving up that chocolate or that coffee or whatever. Start fasting and offering it up for your wife's soul that she come back to the one true church. Okay? Pray for her. Pray that your wife attend mass, your wife go to reconciliation, that your wife come back to the sacraments. But forcing her, and saying, oh, you know, honey, this is the right thing to do. Yeah, every once in a while, you can bring it up in charity and love and say, you know, I wish that you would join me in mass and I wish you that we would do X or maybe she's at mass, but she's not going to confession. So whatever, whatever your, whatever the, you know, your wife's issue is or whoever you're trying to speak about, this works with everybody, by the way. But because you are the head of the house, you have spiritual authority over your wife and children. Not that you're a dictator, but that's the authority given to us by God. So you have spiritual controls, so to speak, which 
give you the spiritual ability to coax spiritually your wife into uh, doing the right thing. In other words, it, it's, it's more efficacious that you pray for your wife and your children. God listens to that because that's an ordered desire. Yes, you could pray for your mother and your father, but you have no spiritual authority over them. Therefore, you, you really don't have any you really don't have any merit in those. You have merit in those prayers, but they're not as efficacious as they would be for someone under your authority. So let me, let me get back to the, the point here. So what you need to do is you need to fast and pray, and you need to let your wife and your children, whoever, you know, your wife, or your children, whoever you're trying to um, lead back into the faith, see you be the example Preaching and waving your hands around and saying, we're going to do it because I'm the man. That doesn't work, guys. That doesn't work. It never works. Letting your wife see you silently on your knees, praying the rosary in front of the blessed sacrament, leading prayer at dinner, leading prayer at bedtime. Now, some of you say, oh, my wife's completely away from the church. She doesn't want me to pray in the house. It, it, public prayer for her is just not a thing. We She's disgusted with it. So you silently pray. You still have freedom. You silently pray for the peace of the house, and you let her see you on your knees. You don't have to force her to prayer. You don't have to make her pray with you. If she doesn't want to pray at dinner or doesn't want to pray in the night before you both lay your head on the pillow, you make sure you are a public witness to the woman who you are supposed to be able to sacrifice your life for. If you want to lay your physical life down for this woman and you so promised God, doing something like this shouldn't be of any issue. You know, the ladies are out there saying, oh, wow, great. Go, go ahead. Go ahead, George Anthony. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to work on you guys next. Okay. So we talked about the men getting rid of the porn. We talked about the men, you know, Cordoning their eyes, lowering their eyes to other women. You have to make sure your speech is correct, gentlemen. You have to, you know, make sure that you're living your life for your family. Boys' night out should not be your priority. Family night in should be your priority. Reading the Bible or telling gospel uh, Bible stories, that is, to your children and discussing things with your family should be our priority. Working hard, sweating laboring should be your priority. Your wife should be your priority. Your children should be a priority. Get out of the bars, guys. Stop going after work for that after work drink. Instead, why don't you say a prayer? Or even better yet, go home and do a craft with your kid or throw a baseball around. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to sit here and read the Bible all day. The Bible absolutely should be read. You should say your rosary and say your prayers and thank God and praise him. But spending time with your family should be paramount. The devil finds his way into our lives and into our country by destroying the family, whether it be by abortion, deviant sexual lifestyles, or destroying the rightly ordered family, man and woman. If he can't get to you any other way, he's going to get through to you through your relationship. That's why your house has to be a military base for the general named Jesus Christ. If it's not, you're giving your military base, your base, 
to the enemy. The enemy is Satan and all his minions. Ladies, it's your turn now. So if you're watching things like 30 Shades of Grey and these other ridiculous movies and, and, and this other filth, sex in the city, these things, you can't have a Christian household. And, it, you know, men, listen up as well, because I didn't go through this with you. I just I did the pornography bit because you guys are guilty as charged and you know who you are. But the women have a, a little bit of softer approach to filth. They watch what I call publicly approved filth, generally speaking. Uh, the, these, some of these love stories become obscene, like these 30 shades of gray and sex in the city. And it's, it's filthy. It's dirty. You don't want that in your house. All these things that you bring into your house come into, that come into agreement with Satan. Gentlemen, listen up. When you come into agreement with Satan, it means the following doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're sacrificing babies and having black masses and, and doing insanity. You're coming to an agreement with sin, right? You can't be going to church on Sunday and receiving Holy Eucharist, and then on Monday you're watching uh, some filthy soap opera, soap opera on TV. That's polluting your mind with filth. And that, that's, that's setting your mind up and, and your, your, your life and the surroundings to opening doors. Opening doors simply just means you're allowing sin into your life. Who is the who is the one that uses sin to his benefit? Satan and all the demons. Yeah, I'm talking spiritually right now because a, a lot of you may not believe the devil exists. I'm going to say it this way. The devil's not a construct. If it was a construct, the Lord and Savior wouldn't have said he was a liar and a, and a thief from the beginning. Our Lord Jesus Christ the one who we claim as our God and our Savior, said specifically, the devil was a liar and a thief from the beginning. Jesus said it, not me. Don't blame me. So if you're a philosophy student and want to believe that the devil in the Bible is a representation of evil, you need to go a little further and listen to what the Lord said. He's a real being who aims for souls to go to hell. He's not just a representation of evil. He exists. So you want to keep him out of your house. You want to keep your house holy. You want to keep your families holy. Make sure that we're doing the right things to get battle ready. Because if not, you see things like divorce, children falling away from the faith, sickness, disease, and disaster. You name it. It happens. Make sure your house is clean. I'm going to get back to the ladies. So the other thing, ladies, you guys are usually guilty of, and you know, I'm not a professional on ladies, but I am married and I, I, I have a child. So I think I am able to speak about this after several years. You must allow your husband to be the authority figure spiritually in the house. I get it. A lot of you ladies, a lot of you gals, you're smarter than your husband. Your husband might be bumbling buffoon. I know I can be accused of that many times, but God has rightly ordered the world in such a way as the Holy Trinity has given power to the man as the head of the house. And the man is responsible for treating his woman as Jesus loved the church. What's that mean? That doesn't mean your husband's an authoritarian and should be telling you what to do, where to go, where not to go. It means in matter of faith and morals, he should be setting up principles in your house. Now, 
Guys, a lot of you are lacking here. So I hear a lot of ladies screaming at me through this podcast saying, well, my husband's the one that's fallen away from the faith. I have your answer too, ladies. You also need to sacrifice in the form of fasting and prayer. Your husbands need a lot of help, okay? They're not going to be able to do it on their own. Just because God has given us as men the authority spiritually as head of the house doesn't mean we don't need a good drill sergeant. You guys are the drill sergeant. You gals, excuse me, are the drill sergeants. You're the one that keep us in line, okay? We need you to sacrifice and fast and pray just like your husbands should be doing. If your husband's the one that's fallen away from the faith, same advice goes for you ladies. Pray and fast. Let him see you pray. Let him see you sacrifice. Let him see the goodness and the purity. Model the Virgin Mary. She should be your your model. That's the one you should look after. And in softness and in sweetness and in kindness, you keep reminding him through conversations, gently prodding him, not, we should go to church. Same thing, gentlemen. You're not going to yell at your wife. Ladies, you're not going to yell at your, your husbands. But be the example. It goes for both genders, both sexes. You need to show the other the example where they are lacking and how to have a rightly ordered marriage. You know, it, it, there's different ways to do things. Women tend to be very gentle and kind and sweet. We tend to be protectors and rough and abrasive. There is a middle ground. The middle ground is Jesus Christ and the Holy Trinity. If you sacrifice and you fast and you pray for your spouse and you allow God to be the center of your life, I guarantee you guys and gals, it will be the best, very best decision you ever make. You can't have a marriage in church and say the nice things till death do we part in sickness and in health in front of God and expect to run things on your own. Listen, I, I raised my child in, in a very specific manner. We have a moder- motto in our house. We love no one before God himself. And because we love God before everyone, then we're able to love each other. My wife knows that I love Jesus Christ and his blessed virgin mother more than I could ever love my wife. And because of that, I'm able to give her everything I have. Now, mind you, do I fail? Yeah, I fail a lot. This is I'm not preaching it, you guys. I'm trying to help you, you ladies and gentlemen out there. But if you put God first and start small, start by praying and talking. He's your best friend. You don't got to get all formal. Just talk to the man. Start small. But when you put God first in your life, when you put Jesus Christ first in your life, ladies and gentlemen, you'll start to see that you love others more than you ever did. And that means loving Jesus Christ, you're not missing Mass on Sunday. You're not missing Holy Days of Obligation. Baseball games for the kids are not as important as Mass. Nothing as more important than loving God. Well, I want to be there for my daughter and my son. You will be. Be in church. They will see what's important. Prioritize your life. If you love Christ first, you love Jesus Christ first, and you love his blessed virgin mother the second, everything on earth 
will fall into place accordingly. You shouldn't be going to your kids' t-ball games or baseball games or dance recitals or gymnastics before going to Holy Mass. You know, we're in modern times, guys. There's Saturday night vigils, uh, you know, four, six, and eight. And then you got Sunday Mass all the way up to four o'clock sometimes. There's no excuses for missing Mass. And go to confession. These are my suggestions. We're not Jesus. We don't walk on water. We all sin, whether it's a small sin or a big sin. Stop receiving the Holy Eucharist without confession. You can't go to the most sacred thing in the entire universe, receive the body and blood, soul, and the video of our Lord Jesus Christ with a dirty soul. It's not going to work out. People argue with me and say, well, I need the communion because it gives me spiritual power. And then they're right, right? They're right. But you can't receive the Lord and Savior in a dirty vessel. You know, St. Paul said it, whoever eats and drinks of himself unworthily eats and drinks abomination and death. It's a death sentence. If I go and I smack my wife and I don't go to confession, first of all, don't smack your wife. And ladies, don't hate your husbands. But I be, I'm being facetious. But if you go and have an argument with your wife or you do something you watch pornography or you, you curse filth out of your mouth. You, you, you name them whatever your sin is. You guys know who you are. I'm not your confessor. And you don't go to confession and you sincerely and deeply repent and apologize. And then you want to go to Holy Mass and, and take the sacraments. You're, you're, you're giving yourself a death sentence. You're setting yourself up for hell and a death sentence. From the book of Mark. Chapter 2, verse 22. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. <laughs> Another thing, guys and girls, if you have children that are of school age or of the age to serve the altar, don't allow your young ladies to serve. The priesthood was meant for men. The purpose of altar servers is to prepare young men apprenticeship to the priesthood. It's not just to make father happy and do certain things. It's not a, a task. The purpose is to see if you want to become a priest. There, I've said this before, I think in a different podcast, or I've, I've spoken to friends, some of you who know me, some of you don't. There are a lot of reverent, sweet young ladies who serve the mass now because it was allowed in the 1980s. But the next conclusion, the logical conclusion is, well, where do we go from here? And a lot of well-meaning parents will then have to turn around to their daughter and say, well, women can't become priests, and here's why. And it's true. Women cannot become priests, and, here, and that's correct. But if you start them wrongly thinking that this can become something else, it's a dead end. It's simply serving the altar. Now, if you have encouraged your young man, your young son to serve the altar, 
you know what? There is a path for him to the priesthood. There absolutely is. He grows in holiness. He grows in reverence. He grows to love and respect the mass. And what can he do with that? Well, you say not every altar boy is going to become a priest. You're absolutely correct. But a percentage will. If we fill the altar with young women, all we're doing them is discouraging them and encouraging them to leave the faith because we set them up in a worldly situation that tells them the church is sexist and that they cannot serve the altar equal to a man as opposed to teaching them right theology and right catechesis that the priesthood is meant for the man in persona Christi. Christ chose 12 men. Christ was a man. The personification of Christ is a man. God could have sent anyone he wanted, okay? God could have came in any form he wanted. He chose a male body as a fatherhood, a protector, and a soldier, and strength of the family. If we don't teach them the rightly ordered situation of the church, by no fault of our own, we set them up to believe the church is misogynistic and sexist. And then we have issues down the line where we have women priests, uh, so-called women priest movement and petitioning the Vatican, lesbian nuns, all, all of it, child molestation. We, we set our children up to fail. Teach them the right way so that there is a path for them to holiness. Get your kids, specifically your young boys, on the altar Explain to them what it is about and make sure that obviously they enjoy it, but take your daughters off the altar. Not because they're not reverent, young, sweet, sweet, innocent girls. It's because there's no place for them to go. And if they learn that if they're taught, whether verbally or without words, that this is okay for them they and they want to be there, there's no logical place for them to go. They may be disheartened and they may turn away from the church. You thinking that you're doing something lovely by having your beautiful, sweet, young, holy, pious daughter on the altar only sets her up for failure. Teach them where their place is. Boys, protect your your sisters. Sisters, nurture your brothers, calm them down. Fathers, love your wives. She's the nurturer. You were the protector. You were the... You are the soldier as the man. She is the matriarch of the house. You are the patriarch. There's an order and a right order situation. Now that I spent a lot of time on moms and dads, let me just talk to you in general. So we have another unfortunate mentality out here that I see a lot of. I see a lot in a lot of the churches. Sunday social club. How are you going to be battle hardened and battle ready if church is just a place where you hang out and, uh, you know, eat some food afterwards. And yeah, it was a good mass. I like the sermon. Fathers, you know, he's he's doing this, he's doing that, he's making jokes or whatever. You know, it's a feel-good place. But it's not the purpose. 
The purpose isn't for you to feel good about yourself. Yeah, you should feel good about yourself. Absolutely. The purpose is to worship and thank Almighty God and give him glory as our king. Okay? It's not always the easy thing to do. Okay? But it's the right thing to do. You have to learn the difference between right and wrong and, frankly, right and feel good. Because feel good isn't exclusive with right. There, there's a big difference there. There's a big difference there. Sometimes the thing that's right to do feels not so good, okay? Going out in a snowstorm uh, of, I don't know, three or four feet that you have to clear, and hopefully you're safe, but then going to Mass, you're probably already exhausted when you get to Mass. You don't know half of the hymns, you're, but that was the right thing to do. Did it feel good? No, your body's aching. You shoveled snow for about an hour and a half before you had to go to Mass, but guess what? You got there. You did the right thing, and the Lord will reward you for that. Now, I'm not saying you should be in any danger if you have to go to Mass, but there was people before us, this holy saints, that died to go to Mass. Okay, there is a saint in Lebanon. Her name is Saint Rafka. She crawled on her hands and her knees before her mother, General Superior, told her she couldn't to get to the Holy Eucharist. I believe... And I'll be corrected if I'm wrong, and I, I stand corrected because I, I'm wrong about a lot of things. I believe she was blind at this point, or she was losing her eyesight, and she was becoming crippled in her, her arms and her legs. She crawled. She crawled from her abbey to the holy altar to receive holy communion. Shoveling a little snow isn't going to kill anybody. Or rearranging a, a, a baseball game or a family barbecue or simply, here, here's one that people don't like, saying no to the thing that you're invited to during mass time. Unless, obviously, there's multiple mass times. But if you live in a place where they have the one priest and the one parish and the one mass, and everything else is completely inconvenient where you have to go hours away, guess what? If it's a choice between Uncle John's barbecue and Jesus Christ, I really hope you choose Jesus Christ. Because that makes the difference. Now, is your uncle going to get mad at you? Probably. But guess what? Invite him to go along. Priorities in life don't always make us feel good. But they get us to where we need to go. Rightly ordered Christian life. <laughs> The other thing is not just being there, but being there in the moment. Okay? What's the difference, George? I'm going to tell you. Being there is you sit your butt in the seat and you're there and you listen to the priest. Well, actually, you don't even have to listen to the priest. I see a lot of people. They're there physically. Priest is talking. They're on their cell phone. They're looking up at the statues. They're wandering here. They're wandering there. Being in the moment, listening to what the priest is saying, listening to his homily, assessing your own life, praying the words, with thought and meaning, not our Father who art in heaven, our Father who art in heaven. Like, what does that mean? That means our Father God who is in heaven, holy is your name, hallowed be thy name. 
understanding what you're saying. Don't go through the motions. It's, it's hard a lot of times, I understand. I've been there when you have kids and you have responsibilities. But this is your hour to worship the most sacred and precious king in the entire universe, the author and finisher of life and death itself. Don't go there haphazardly. Try your best. We're humans, we fall, I get it. But try your best to be there. Don't be there because you're checking off a box for your husband or your wife or you think that God's going to give you some merit just for being there. God sees your soul. He reads your soul. He reads your heart. He knows when you're not there. He knows the difference between the sick old lady who's in bed and wants to be in church and you who have all full faculty and health and are there, but aren't there and, and present mentally and spiritually. So it's not good enough to just have your physical body there. Your mind, soul, body, you, you, it all needs to be there. Okay? And here's the part that a lot of people don't like. Make sure you're going to a pious and a reverend church. Well, George, aren't all churches pious and reverent? No. <laughs> Point blank, they're not. Well, what do I mean? If you're going to a church that has clown masses and is clapping and yelping and making noise, or where the priest is telling you anecdotes about the football or the basketball game, or telling stories that absolutely have nothing to do with religion or saving your soul, you're not in a pious mass. Is it a valid mass? Absolutely, as long as the priest confects the sacrament, the blessed sacrament in the, in the proper way. But the rest of it is just, so it's like this. It's like taking a diamond and surrounding it with tin foil. What do I mean? If the priest confects the sacrament in the correct way, that's the diamond, the most precious part of the mass. The pinnacle of our life is the Holy Eucharist. But if the rest of the mass is guitar music and clapping and laughing and, and, and you have priests dressing in Halloween costumes and talking about sports antidotes, it's surrounded in tinfoil. It's not as valuable as the other thing. The, the rest of the Mass will never be as valuable as the Holy Eucharist itself. But wouldn't you want to have a diamond ring surrounded by gems and gold and platinum, not just a diamond ring and tinfoil? Find yourself a holy parish. And listen, if you're happy with your parish and you start to see these things, it's because your eyes are now opened. If now on Sunday, after you listen to this podcast, you begin to question your pastor or you begin, begin to question the choir or you begin to question the practices that you see in mass, your eyes are now open. You've been red-pilled. Now you're going to wake up. We need to remember that the mass has been constructed over 2,000 years of the faith and that the holy mass Although it evolved slowly, it evolved in such a way that was sacred and given to make those who witness and participate in the Mass a way to explore and experience heaven. When we go into the church, the church should be like us entering the first level of heaven, as if, as if the divine. If you don't get that feeling when you're in there, meaning you have like people talking back and forth, 
this is not a sacred, this sacred space is not being treated respectfully. You know, you can try, like I've tried in the past, to talk to the pastor and talk to the priest, maybe write to the bishop. But at the very least, if you can't affect change in your church, in other words, if you talk to Father and say, Father, I'm really come to a place in my life where I'm trying to uh, be, you know, interiorly, interiorly spiritual, and uh, I'm trying to uh, become more prayerful, which is very hard for me before Mass because there's no silence in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Everyone's talking and glad-handling and, and talking about what they're going to do after Mass and what they did on Saturday night. And he just basically doesn't care. It's a pretty good indication that you need to remove yourself from that parish and find another parish. I'm not saying you don't go there because you're in a bind and you need to receive the Blessed Sacrament or Confession. I'm saying if you want to experience Christ in a happy, beneficial way, you need to find a pious parish. You need to find one when you walk in those doors and you're like three minutes away from mass. You don't hear a peep or you hear very little rumblings of children, you know, they're innocent children. But you don't hear grandma and grandpa bickering or mom and dad talking or kids, you know, playing with their family and, and you know, the priest up and down the aisle shaking everyone's hand and the deacon uh, running around or, you know, the the older men and women running up on the altar and fixing this and fixing that. That altar should be fixed when you when you arrive. The candles should be lit. The blessed sacrament should be in the center. The parishioners should be relatively quiet or in prayer. And all focus should be at the front of the church on the blessed sacrament. And preparing oneself for Mass. If you don't see that this Sunday, or the next Sunday, whenever you go to Mass next, you're in an irreverent parish, I should say. And that disorder is going to play part in how you become a more spiritual person. It's very good to surround yourself with holy men and women, pious men and women. But if you don't think you can affect change in that parish by doing the right thing, and I encourage you, I encourage you to talk to Father. I encourage you to talk to Monsignor or the Bishop, whoever is the, whoever is the ordained leader of your church, to affect change there. But if, if you get the answer, it is what it is, maybe it's time that you need to reassess, you know, St. John's or St. Mary's and you, you go somewhere else. I can help you with that search. I'm more than happy to help you out. I'm not just going to give you a bunch of, bunch of speech here. and then and not, there, There's ways that we can find reverend parishes. There's, there's indicators that I've noticed over the years that, you know, you, you start to realize which priest and there, there, there's certain telltale signs. So you need to find a reverend parish, okay? You need to get your house in order. Your prayer life has to extend into, you know, not only Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every single day praying. And it, five minutes a day start. Start reading books about the saints. But let, let's, let's pass that off for a second. Let's go back to church. Another indicator if you're in an irreverent parish or a parish that's not going uh, to help you in your spiritual life, see how the priest treats the mass. Is the, does the priest become smaller and God becomes larger? Or is he there to hear himself? 
If he starts the mass with good morning, ladies and gentlemen, how was your weekend? Really good indicator. You're not in a reverent parish, or at least you don't have a reverent pastor. I've noticed that there's some, there's some parishes that have multiple priests and, you know, maybe you get like five reverent priests and you get one priest, not so much. So you, you're going to have to assess the situation. I'm not saying that the priest is the only, but there's a lot of these smaller parishes that only have one priest. So that's, that's what I'm proposing here. But if you have a large parish, you know, 500, 600, 700, 900 families, and you have like four priests, you may get lucky and find one priest that's reverent. His mass may be like, you know, the weird one that's at like 4 p.m. on on Sunday, but at least you don't have to travel. You're going to have to put in some work, people, if you want to you want to feel the presence of God. It's it's, you know, the road to Golgotha up the hill wasn't easy. He didn't put the cross on wheels and wheel it up. He, he stumbled and he needed some help by by Simon the Cyrene. So you're going to need some help. I'm here to be your Simon the Cyrene. But what I'm saying is it's not going to be easy. Just don't think you're going to walk in. And, you know, Holy Spirit's going to come down and everything's going to be you're going to go through some fight. My wife and I, we now have to travel almost an hour to a reverent parish where the priest is amazing. He's a sweetheart. He is the most pious person. He is humble, but he is a man. He is a man and he's a man of God even more. Third or fourth, I don't know where we left off, sign that you're an irreverent parish besides the priest starting the mass with good morning and how are you and all that. Frankly, does he sound like a woman? Is he an effeminate? Nobody wants to hear that. Priesthood is for men, manly men. If this gentleman, and I'm going to use the term loosely, is talking with a, a lisp, has homosexual or asexual mannerisms, very effeminate, you're pretty much almost guaranteed you're an irreverent parish. I wouldn't receive Holy Communion from that priest if you paid me. Now, is it listed and it's valid? Absolutely. And some are going to argue with me. But I'll be honest with you. I do not want to be around someone who I know is supposed to be in persona Christi. Let me explain. Side note. In persona Christi in the Catholic Church, in Latin means in the personage or the place of Christ. Where Christ once was, that priest now is. Okay. I want to be someone that makes me feel like I'm next to Christ. I'm receiving the body of Christ from Jesus himself. Not some effeminate, nail-polished, quaffed hair, hi, honey, how are you kind of priest. And I've seen them. They exist. You guys seen them too. And if you're too scared to call it out, call it out. You don't need to approach him. You just need not to go. Okay? There, there's, there's nothing wrong with your inter- your interlight God-given spirituality and your senses coming to something that's not right. You know, you know by the tone of his voice, you know by the, the way he looks. Now, it, it, that's not saying he's an active homosexual, but priesthood was not meant for effeminate men. St. Peter was a fisherman. He was rough and tumble. He's the first pope. He was a priest and a bishop. Bloody hands from those nets. You want someone with polished nails and walks around with his shoes perfectly polished just to be seen. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have your shoes perfectly polished. But I would rather have a priest with holes in his shoes because he was delivering Holy Communion to the homeless. 
and the poor and didn't have time to make sure his hair was perfectly coiffed. Didn't have time to, yes, is he clean? Absolutely. But didn't have time to make sure that he looked so pristine. Okay? I'm not saying you want a dirty priest. I'm just saying you don't want a, a, a priest that reminds you of a woman. Let's be clear. Priesthood is for men, for manly men. He should be a man above all. If your priest is out playing baseball with the boys, it's a good indication he's a manly man. If he's sitting back and talking with all the females, and I don't mean confession or rosary, I mean he just simply gravitates to, to the females, and 95% of his staff is females, it's a good indication. It's not, it's not the indication, and in no way should you call him out on anything, but maybe you need to remove yourself from that parish. So there's the four or five signs. The other one, the other one, this may or may not be, this is the lesser one. If you go into the church and you don't see the blessed sacrament in the front and center and it like, you know, the tabernacle, the holy tabernacle, if you don't see the tabernacle in the front of the church and the priest or deacon has to go and get the Eucharist from another room or a side chapel because there is no tabernacle, it's a pretty good indication that that church was during the time of the 60s and 70s after Vatican II when all the nonsense and the rebuilding of the church was happening. It doesn't mean that church isn't reverent, but it's one of the lesser indications that from the time of the 60s or 70s when they were rebuilding churches to take Christ out of the center and put the the, present, the presider's chair, not the presenter, excuse me, the presider's chair in, in the front of the altar, making the priest the center of the mass as opposed to Christ himself in the Holy Eucharist, it's a pretty good indication if they haven't done anything in construction from the 60s or 70s till now, you might be an irreverent parish. Surprise, surprise. I've been in churches like that where the parish is completely reverent. It's just super poor. So be wise with your be wise with your, your judgments. You know, all the things I said previous to this one point are possibly more important than that. But again, the Lord and Savior is the king. He should be at the front, enthroned in, in the front. Yes, it, it's important. But does that indicate an irreverent parish? It may or it may not, based on these, you know, based on the other things that I discussed. Here's a big one. Here's like a super, super big one. If father sits down during Holy Communion and allows, quote unquote, Eucharistic ministers, i.e. old ladies in Birkensocks and 16-year-old Eucharistic ministers to give communion, and he sits down while they do all the work, you're in an irreverent parish. We'll talk about the efficacy of Eucharistic ministers on a different podcast. I have my own uh, my understanding of that and, and through uh, the text of the Holy Church where that's supposed to be used. Let's just side note for a second. They're called extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion because they're supposed to be used in extraordinary times. Mass isn't an extraordinary time. Getting out within an hour isn't an extraordinary circumstances. They're supposed to be used when the priest can't get the five hospitals and has five dying people. So he ministers Holy Communion to these extraordinary Eucharistic ministers to bring to those people so they will have the Lord and Savior with them. Their purpose is not to get people out of the church on time. It's not for the convenience of the priest, the people, or anyone else. So they're being misused in mass in order for people to get out of church within 45 minutes to an hour. And, and you see it a lot, right? There's no need. If you have one priest, his sole job is to confect the sacraments and distribute it. If you have a deacon, he can also distribute the sacraments. But there should be no Eucharistic ministers because you have five aisles. You know what? Guess what? Our 
An hour mass just became an hour and a half mass. An hour mass just became a two-hour mass because it's the proper thing to do. I'll get off that horse for a minute. We'll jump back. The other indication, if you have lay people opening up the Blessed Sacrament, the Holy Tabernacle, and glad-handing the, the Eucharist, and running all over the altar, and basically the priest just shows up, does his magic show, i.e. the Mass, and gives his little speech, does his tap dance, and leaves, you have an irreverent Mass. If 95% of that parish is controlled by lay people, and Father's just there to do his, his little Mass thing, you have an irreverent parish. you got to wake up and start looking at these things, people. you got to look up... At, and you gotta look at these things. If you have guitar music and drums at your at your parish, if you're singing Protestant hymns at your parish, don't get me wrong, there's some Protestant hymns that are beautiful, Amazing Grace being one of them. I love it, I sing it every night to my child. But it has no place in mass. They're for your car, they're for your home. You have an irreverent parish. These things don't make the mass illegitimate, but what they do is they don't allow you to be fully formed in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church in the traditional way of the saints. And therefore, if you let anything creep in, if you start to allow for things, you become disordered. So if your prayer life is disordered, your home life is going to be disordered. If your home life is disordered, your children become disordered. And there is the generational curse. <laughs> Then you will know that you raise them the right way. And they won't be part of the world. They'll be in the world, but not of the world. We want to make sure we're not just doing things, but checking off boxes, guys and gals. Go in the Mass on Sunday, and then doing your, your dirt on Monday or name the day of the week isn't helping. We need to take control of our lives. If your children don't have a prayer life, it's because you don't have a prayer life. If your children are not doing the right thing, it's because you haven't instructed them how to do the right thing. Children are just as good as the people who lead, care, and nurture for them. I said it previously, I can guarantee you, if you start praying with your children and speaking of holy things, just taking them to mass and giving them a toy in the pew isn't doing a darn thing for their soul. Hold them in your arms and whisper into their ears what's happening. When, when the host is raised above the chalice and the priest is doing the consecration, let them know right there is your king. That's our king. Children are very easy to explain things to if you get them early on. Obviously, when they get older, they get a little bit smarter, a little bit more inquisitive. They're going to ask you, Dad, what's that mean? Mom, what's that mean? And you can explain it to them. And if you can't, there are resources out there for you. In fact, I encourage any of you that need help to contact me, and I will get you in touch with either a pastor or a religious lay leader uh, in your, your, the church near you, or I will give you some resources that will help you catechize your family. But what I'm trying to say is 
Don't be afraid, even if you don't know. Your basic catechesis, your baptism itself, allows you to be a person to spread the word of God. The simple fact that you are baptized in water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit allows you to give the graces to your family. And you don't have to be a catechist. You don't have to be a podcaster. You don't have to be a a philosopher or a, a, a Catholic a Catholic priest or nun to teach your children, what you need to be is well-intentioned and a pious person, okay? You want to live on your knees. You want to live in fear of the Lord, and you want your children to do that. Sending them to mass and giving them a toy and just hoping that somehow by osmosis, grace comes to them. You know, there's certain graces that come to people. By being in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, there are graces that come. But what's more efficacious is when you're holding your son or your daughter by their hand or if they're small enough in your arms and you're explaining to them in the best that you can, in their simple terms, do you see Jesus? Do you see Blessed Virgin Mary? Do you see the saints talking to them, what the priest is doing, let them know? It's much better than I see some of these families and God help me and God help them. They hand the bag of popcorn to their son or daughter to just shut them up because all they really want is their son and daughter to not make noise and complain in the church. They're maybe in the church for the right intention of their soul, but the wrong approach to their children. I would rather have one or two or three weeks with the kids where they make noise and then you get them under control by involving them in the mass because what they're going to learn is that, well, we go to mass, we get toys and we get crackers and we get candy. We shut up for about an hour, you know, hour, 15 minutes, whatever your mass, uh, you know, however long your priest takes. And that's it. And we leave. We just get through it. You don't want them to just get through it. You want them to be a part of it. You want them to understand and know and love. So if you guys are the kind of parents out there that are going for yourselves, but just trying to shut up your kids and put them on the side, stop it. Involve them now. Okay. And it starts in the home. It can't just be on Sunday, people. Can't just be on Sunday. Take the garbage off the TV, take the Cartoon Network off the TV, because some of you guys think the Cartoon Network is just for kids. No, it's not. There's adult stuff. Take the adult stuff off the TV and start to, you know, I know we all can't be everywhere, but start to put some programs on that are going to be beneficial. And really, just turn off the TV, just turn it off and start playing with your kids going outside, but in those times, find times to talk about God. Find times to talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary's life. And if you don't know, it's really okay. Learn, if not for yourself, for the soul and the benefit of your children. Let me tell you, it is going to be a game changer for discipline, for right living, You won't have to worry about this filth and degradation that they'll be going to be exposed to in schools if they go to public schools. And frankly, a lot of the Christian and Catholic schools are now picking it up. If you grow and shape and mold the most precious thing in your life and the image and likeness of God, even if you're struggling with your own soul, how much reward and benefit will you and your family gain? men and women alike, and from generation to generation to generation 
will be the same thing. I wonder, have you any guys heard of generational curses? A generational curse is the actual opposite of what we're talking about right now. A generational curse is when, I give you an example. Look to your right, look to your left if you're in a public place. How many people do you know that are divorced and that their mom and dad are divorced and possibly their mom and dad? That's a generational curse where the cycle of evil, degradation, disorder, mayhem is not broken. How many people are, do you know that are drug addicts or know of drug addicts and their parents are drug addicts? This is generational curses. Generational blessings are exactly the opposite of that. You know the family, I'm sure in church or otherwise, whether they're Christian or Jewish. You know the family I'm talking about, the one that prays together, the one that love each other, the ones that do things in right order, correctness and love. No, no one's a saint, right? Okay, we all, we all trying to get there. But if all we're worried about is beer and football and girls night out and boys night out and the family kind of militates around and we, we're, they're just part of our every day, but they're not really part of our soul and our life and we're not willing to sacrifice for them and, you know, oh, I have to spend some time with my family. If that's your attitude, I have some news for you people. There's a special place. It's not in heaven for those that deny the love and the time for their family. You don't want to be that person. And even if you were, today's the day you should change. Let today, let this voice of one crying out in the wilderness, as John the Baptist said, let this be your chance, your wake-up call to be the better father, to be the better mother, to get your child baptized. That's another thing, guys. If you guys are out there and you have a child, you're both baptized Christian Catholics, and you have a child that's not baptized, and they're older than the age of two, you need to start thinking about where your priorities are. Get that kid baptized. It doesn't have to be a, a big party, a big service. Get your child baptized. Your parents had the right understanding, and maybe they weren't fully formed in the faith, but they gave you a gift that no one else could give you. Okay? You have complete love and authority of your children. Give them the best gift in the world by getting them baptized. Start them in the Christian faith, even if you don't even have a Bible in your house at this point. Get your children baptized. You can learn everything later, but don't let them go another day without the mark of Jesus Christ claiming their souls. There's too much in the world where you don't want them to get involved in. And it's not just, it's not just things that are bad and ugly. But it's pure evil, pure evil from the dark satanic one himself. You don't want them to be involved in that. You want them to be claimed for Christ through baptism and eventually confirmation and eventually holy communion. And if you have to do extra work, moms and dads, do it. Do it. Contact me. The information is at the end of the podcast. I will help you. It is not my mission to preach to you. It is my mission to walk with you. It is my mission to take the veil over, off of your eyes and, and, the, and the, place the sunlight of Christ inside of your heart. You need to wake up. I'm calling on all Catholic men 
and women. I'm calling on Christian men and women, our Protestant brothers of goodwill and good faith. It's time we stop being soft Christians. Catholics, we need to take up space. We say, George, what's that mean? We need to take up space. We don't have any more time for this weak sauce Catholicism, this jelly spine Catholicism and Christianity. I'm speaking to our, our brothers and sisters in the Protestant denominations as well. Take up space. Pray in public. When you sit down to eat a meal with your family at that restaurant, pray. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. If you give thanks in your house before meals and you don't pray in public, you're a hypocrite. You're no better than the atheist or anyone else. I'm not judging you. I'm saying what's the truth here. Okay, I was at fault for a long time. I, I realized when I started to get deeper into my faith and I started allowing the Holy Spirit to enter my life and I started to consecrate my family to the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph and I allowed God to be the head of my family and for me to be the spiritual head, that you can't play Catholic or Christian only in your house or at church, but in you're in the world amongst the wolves, and you don't take a stand, and I'm not saying get on a loudspeaker and pray. I'm simply saying the three of you, the four of you, Father leads, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen, do the sign of the cross, and either pray silently in a whisper or just so you can hear it. You're a witness to the world. You're not looking for people to look at you. Don't look around and see if people are looking at you. If they are, fine. If they're not, fine. It's not for them. It's for you. You're blessing your food and you're thanking God for it. But what you're also doing is being a witness. You're witnessing. Blessing your food in your house and then going to a fancy five-star restaurant and you think you're going to be embarrassed? Shame on you. Shame on you. What kind of weak Christian are you? Oh, because we're in polite society and religion has no place. Christ is king of everywhere. Of every rock, every stone, every street, every home, it's when you allow him to be that it's powerful to you. You, you can't be a good Christian and, and not pray in public the way you pray in private. That's hypocritical. You bless your food in your house with the three or four of you, but you don't do it at a restaurant? What's the point? You're, are you grateful for some food but not others? Are you only Christian when the doors are closed and it's comfortable? Are you afraid that you might be in a neighborhood that's not acceptable to your religion? Tough. We're called to be martyrs. We're called to die for our faith. Hopefully it's not necessary. In, in God's will, it'll never be necessary. But don't be a coward. Take up space. That's what I mean by take up space. Listen, if you have some land in front of your house, put a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Put a cross on your door. Make sure you have pictures of holy men and women in your house. Have your house blessed. Don't call yourself a Christian and you can't find a Bible or crucifix anywhere to be found. Listen, if you need some, I'll send you some, okay? Call me. Don't call me because my number's not up there. Email. 
I'm happy to help you. I will direct you to places and people willing to send you a Bible, will, willing to send you holy objects, blessed objects. You have to take up space. You have to be assigned to this generation that you're a Christian. Not just mass on Sunday, prayers before meals. You know, I, I, it's like I'm requiring a lot, but it's not me who requires it. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord said, be hot or cold, for if you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Translation, take a stand. Are you in as a Christian? Are you not in as a Christian? If you're in as a Christian, there's certain things, places, subjects we all need to have, right? You need, you need places to go, church, to, to the cemetery to see your dead relatives, things to do, pray, work, things to have, signs of your faith, things to study, Holy Bible, the catechism, the, the writings of the saints. Don't be a lukewarm Christian. Lukewarm Christians show up to Mass, Christmas and Easter, or sometimes even every Sunday, they're not there, they don't understand. Take up space, okay? It, it's not hard. It just takes time, and it takes some effort, and it takes some work. If not for the saving of your soul, for the, for the sake of your children. البيت خانه عيلت وقد بمديل خصفديت ملكش ما ينوح صالي خلدا Find like-minded people. You might have to start realizing that the people you surround yourself with are not beneficial to you. Surprise, surprise, and that may be blood relations. This is the sad part of this. That may be blood relations. That may be the guy or gal you grew up with. That may be your own brother or your sister or your father or your mother. The Lord calls us in the commandments to honor our fathers and our mothers, okay? But he also said, Jesus Christ said, who is my mother and my brothers? Anyone who listens accepts all the words coming out of my mouth. Basically, the Holy Gospel. He's not saying dishonor your mother and your father or your sisters and your brothers. But he's saying who belongs to Jesus? Who belongs to Jesus are the people who listen and accept his message. So listen, if you become like super Christian tomorrow, somehow this podcast by osmosis, the Holy Spirit, whatever, and all, all praises the Lord Jesus Christ for that. You become super Christian tomorrow. All these things resonate in your soul, in your mind. People are going to start to militate against you. People are start, going to start to uh, move away from you naturally. Oh, he's too religious. She's too religious. Listen, I've heard it all. I've heard it all inside of my family and external from my family. I've lost friends. And I've grown away from some of my family members. The ones that are close are like-minded and probably listening to this now. Shout out to you guys. The ones who are not have accepted the LGBTQ LMNOP agenda, support all kind of communistic and socialistic agendas, things that are not of God. Do these people, these same people show up in church? Yes. Do we all pray together? Yes. I could literally, in any particular uh, holiday, Christmas, Easter, Palm Sunday, when we all tend to get together in the same home parish, we're all together. But I can tell you, 
I can tell you who really, and not because I'm, I'm some kind of special confessor, because I know, I know my family and I love them. I love them all deeply. But I can tell you which one of the individuals truly believes why they're there and who's just there because it's a traditional cultural thing, right? You know, some, some, some cultures have uh, church in their, in their culture more than others. Italian-American and Irish-Americans have uh, cultural Catholics, meaning that they go to church because it's a cultural thing, part of like St. Patrick's Day or St. Joseph's Day. But, you know, they're there because it's part of this holiday or it's part of what we've always done. It's not really part of what I want to do. It's kind of we always do this. This is what we do. You know, y'all heard of them. C&E Catholics, Christmas and Easter or Cafeteria Catholics. There's a million names for us, right? It goes for Christians as well. It goes for everybody. But I can tell you which members of my family are, are, are truly there and present in the presence of the Lord. Doesn't mean I, I love the other ones less. It means that I can guarantee you right after we all receive Holy Eucharist and we go to the church hall or the church center and I start to talk about religion, I know which ones are going to engage with me and be happy and want to share the homily and the gospel and which ones are going to start to look at me like I'm crazy. And my question always is interiorly, and I've never said this to anyone, well, why are you here? The purpose of fellowship after mass isn't to talk about what sports teams you're going to bet on. The purpose is to love your fellow man and woman, your, your family and whoever your friends are. And if you don't have any family, you're by yourself, your, your, your brothers and your sisters in Christ around you with the message you just got in church. So it's a natural extension to move right into conversation about the Lord. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to speak every single word about gospel in the Bible. But I can guarantee you, you'll know who's under the Lord's protection and who's just there because it's cultural. You'll start to th see these things, boys and girls, men and women, guys and gals. You'll start to see them. And once you do, send me emails. Please tell me that I was of some help to you. We're going to end this podcast and I'm going to pray for all your souls, that we start to wake up, stand up, pray up, and ask the Lord to give us the tools that we need to, A, clean our households, B, raise our children, and C, spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the world for the saving of souls, the saving of your soul, and to be proud to be Christians. Not pride as a sin, but to be proud in the fact that the Lord has saved us and given us a way that we can spread the good news, that we could spread life, that we could spread love, that we could spread goodness to the world. It's not about us. It's about him. And once you make it about him, then it's easier to love everyone around you. <laughs> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that this podcast has been a, been a blessing to our listeners. We pray through the intercession of the most blessed Virgin Mary, your mother, St. Joseph, all the angels and saints and holy martyrs, 
that the message that the Holy Spirit has laid upon my heart and my mind to give to my brothers and sisters in Christ and good men and good women, the ability to love and serve you through getting their house rightly ordered, getting their family rightly ordered, through finding their way to you through this message, that they find the gospel to be efficacious and saving of their soul. We ask you to bless all their hearts and their minds and their souls, to allow their lips to loosen, the binding in their hearts to become undone, and that you will move people into their lives that will become beneficial for them, that they will start to see with spiritual eyes the churches that they attend and the people that surround them, that you give them the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of discernment, so that they can see where right and wrong is, where evil lies and where evil hides. We ask you to shine light on them, to give them the graces that they need to continue to raise their family, to continue to educate them. We ask you, Lord, for any difficulty they may lie in their way, whether it be time or place or money or education, that you take care of these things, that you help them so that they're able to go to the next step. We pray, Lord, that you make a way for each one of these individuals in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Guys and gals, it's been my pleasure to be your host today. Hopefully this message was reaching you at some point in your life. Hopefully, if it doesn't reach you, you know it would be a blessing if someone passed it on. I ask you to email me. My email is in the outro. And to visit our website, there's plenty of subjects and things we're going to talk about. But what I'm trying to do right now is to prepare you for the next podcast. Each podcast will build upon itself. And until next time, Christ is King. Ave Maria. البيت خاله عيلت وقد بمديل خسفديت ملكش ما ينوح صلي خلدا Questions, comments, or concerns, please contact us at editor at saintelliasmedia.com. Also, please visit our website at saintelliasmedia.com where you will find updated articles and additional resources. The St. Elias Report is hosted by George Anthony. It is produced by Vic Hermanson. Our technical director is David Griffith. The St. Elias Report is owned and operated by St. Elias Media and is a Masabki Brothers production. Hey,